The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. I met our guest today, Art Payne, while making my rounds as hospital chaplain. He volunteered to tell me his NDE experience, and I found it so fascinating that I asked him to be on today's show. Art is a writer, an artist, fantastic painter of, uh, of seascapes and boats, a boat builder, and a sailboat captain. He had his NDE in 1968 while serving as a naval officer in Washington, D.C., and temporarily working as a recruiter after duty aboard an aircraft carrier off Vietnam. Art was burned over 50% of his body and spent four months recovering at Bethesda Naval Hospital. He now lives in a fishing village in Maine and has become well-known as a, as a marine painter. He's married and has two children and one grandchild. Art, welcome to NDE Radio. Well, thank you. This seems miraculous. <laughs> I I know here I am I'm off in Arizona this week and and you're in Maine and we can do all this through Chicago and and actually uh, have an audience. Uh Art, you haven't shared your NDE experience with many people before this, have you? Um no, actually I haven't. I've done it oh, I don't know, a few times when I've run across people who older people in particular who were nearing death, including my own mother who Somewhat lost her faith. She was. She had been a Christian her whole life, um, but it wasn't working for her. And I don't know why. I don't share it very much. I guess maybe it's like a World War II combat veteran. It was. It was like combat for me, and I don't let it out that much. But I've decided to do it for you. Yes. Well, I certainly appreciate that, and I think the audience will too when they hear about it. Do you want to start with your uh, the the uh, prelude to it all was uh, kind of a romantic encounter. Well, yeah, that was very much mixed up with it. In fact, when I tell this, I'm going to make a, an attempt not to make it a romance because that's not not the uh, important part of the story, at least for you. Um, but yeah, when I came back from Vietnam, from the I was never actually in country in Vietnam, but within sight of it, um, I they made me a recruiter, and I I very much wanted to have a girlfriend. I was way behind in terms of. <laughs> ladies in my life, and uh, so that was somewhat of a priority for mine, and I met a, a woman that was a sophomore at George Washington University, and we pretty much instantly fell in love, and uh, that was a that was a new thing for me. And, and uh, tell us how um, your accident happened and how she was able to save you. Um, yeah, that was a real surprise. You know, I, I hardly knew the, the woman. Um, our relationship had progressed real fast, but um, it's not like I felt like I really knew her. And there were many, many, many mysterious aspects to her, um, one or two of which really worked in my favor, as it turned out. Um, I I think I was trying to impress her with my mechanical abilities. I'd always been a, an auto mechanic. Uh, partly because I just couldn't afford good cars. Um, <laughs> and I owned a 1964 Mercury Comet, 
nice little car. Well, and uh, I felt like it didn't have enough power, so I decided I would rebuild the carburetor. Um, and this this not a very romantic date, but one one night I picked her up at Thurston Hall at George Washington University, where all the young ladies lived, and drove her out to Landover, Maryland, where I lived. And um, you know, after fooling around a little bit, we I decided to do this carburetor. So I took it off the car and I dumped it in a bucket of gasoline. I had bought a rebuild kit from J.C. Whitney, and I disassembled the thing and you know put all the little accelerator pumps and jets and springs in and put it back together. And uh, it got along towards eleven o'clock, and you know the girls were going to turn into a pumpkin if we didn't get them back to Thurston Hall by mm. midnight. So. I had to get the thing going. So I bolted the carburetor back on the car. It was getting to be evening. And I tried to start it. I cranked it and cranked it and it wouldn't start. And uh, uh, at that point, my clothing was pretty well permeated with, with gasoline, gasoline fumes. Um, so anyway, when it wouldn't start, I went back and then got Patty and asked her to come out and, you know, crank the car for me. And uh, she did that got in the car, and I opened, I had the hood open anyway, and I leaned over the front of the car, and uh, the bucket of gasoline that I had been washing everything out in was sitting there on the curbstone next to me. And I did what stupid men do um, from time to time. I've met many, uh, particularly with lawnmowers, when they won't start. I just cupped a little of that gasoline in the, my two hands. and I've done it my, myself. Yeah, I held it over the throat of the carburetor because the air cleaner was off. And I opened my hands up and drizzled a little, little um, gasoline in there and I asked Patty to crank the car, which she did. And then, you know, that's when it began. And then mm. the, the next three or four seconds of my life stressed out and, it, you know, it, they, they stressed out like an hour. I had all the time in the world to experience just an amazing number of things, some of which I suppose you've experienced because you had an NDE yourself. Um, I had all the time in the world. Uh, I mean, and not that it was enjoyable time because cause I was burned really badly. So as soon as she turned the key, I looked down in the intake manifold and I saw her light go on. And I thought to myself, kind of jokingly, hey, wait a minute, I'm a mechanic. There's no, there's no light bulbs down inside of a an intake manifold, and of course that was just the front of the fire coming at me, and it came at me, and I blew up, and I was on fire everywhere I had clothing, um, and that's really when it began, and I realized then, I think it was, it was propitiated by the fact that um, I realized, wait a minute, no one lives through anything like this. I'm going to get burned. I thought over my entire body. Um, no one lives through this, and so I figured, "Wow, this is amazing." I'm. The strange thing is, I wasn't disappointed. I wasn't horrified. It's almost like I'd been expecting it in a way. Um, I didn't reckon the things that I hadn't done in my life. It. I was instantly, kind of peaceful. Um, despite the horrible pain. I mean, I've never had pain, obviously, never had pain like that ever again in my life. But I didn't think I was going to have any more life. At that point, I just figured I was dead. 
and and then um, and then my life flashed before my eyes. They make jokes about your life flashes before your eyes. Well, that actually that happened to me. And but I think Lee. One of the things that when I told the story to Lee in the hospital, he was intrigued by the fact that. <laughs> This is a strong argument in favor of evolution for those people who question it. <laughs> I didn't start as myself, as a little baby. I distinctly remember starting as like some lower life form. You know, I, I felt like an amoeba, or I felt like a paramecium, or I felt like... And then it progressed, and I, I, I was a fish, and I could feel my, my little tail wagging back and forth, and there were all these other fishes around me. And, uh, and I remember one of the milestones was I remember crawling up on land with my little proto hands or whatever and breathing air for the first time, you know, without having to breathe it in the water, I could breathe mm. there. And it went on, this all happened pretty quickly, and I was a, a, like a monkey swinging in the trees, having a great time, enjoying myself, and then on to when I became a human. Um, and then I was a little baby, and I was a twin, and I had there was other little baby just like me, and and right on through my own life, which was only a small end part to this whole recapitulation of my life. Um, when I was a me, and I was happy, I had a girlfriend finally, and I had escaped all of the uh, the Vietnam threats, which were owned me for ten years of my life, uh, and I had everything I ever wanted. I had beautiful girl and and then it's kind of hard to decide at what point something else happened and I went somewhere else I guess I'll I'm not even certain when it was but it was about then it was before I needed to get one last look at Patty which was very important to me but before then I I went someplace and this is going to seem similar to all those other near-death stories, I, I, first of all, the thing that hit me was probably at that point in my life, previous to the getting ignited, I was as happy a young man as I've ever been in my life. I'd escaped Vietnam alive. I had a girlfriend, which I'd always wanted. She was amazing, brilliant, beautiful, everything, all I ever wanted. And so, so I was that happy. And I was living in a city, Washington, D.C., and the streets were wide and sparkling and beautiful, and it just couldn't have been better. But the thing that hit me when I went to this other place that I perceived was that it was infinitely happier, even than that. The first thing that just hit me like a bomb was the happiness. It was happiness cubed. And, okay, and then the part of it was definitely the white light. <laughs> Definitely the brilliant, brilliant white light, which for me was at, up and to my right, and it was swirling around and around, and I was aware. And then there were all of these other, I call them angels, souls. No one had a body. I didn't have a body. It was an un unnecessary thing to have a body. Um, and they were all sympathetic. They were all pulling for me. They were all welcoming me to whatever that place was, T total welcome. And... And part of it, though, <laughs> was it was a selling job. They they wanted me to stay with them, whatever that place was. 
and beyond that, they wanted me to stray my soul or the kind of the center of what I was over towards where this white swirling light was. And I knew if I went into that swirling light, it would suck me in and I would go to some place and there those entities, those angels or whatever, those beautiful voices, all sort of promised me as incredibly happy as it is right here, it's even going to be better when you get to the other end of that thing there. But but I was afraid of it. I I didn't want to go there. I did not want to go there. I wanted to live out my life. At, at this point, uh, it was like, I guess, what you call an out-of-body experience, because my, my view of the scene was not that... Not that I was up there in the air being exploded in front of a car. I was looking at me being up there, kind of just frozen in the air with flames coming off me. But I was next to where, like where Patty was, sort of near the door of the car, looking at me. And and that's when it got really weird because I I feel, I remember negotiating with those things, whatever they were, and having a, all the time in the world to negotiate what comes next. And I said to them, and they said, look, compare the happiness here to the happiness. I mean, back there, you're burning, you're in pain. You know, it's horrible there uh, on Earth. <laughs> and I argued, no, I want to live. I want to see how it works out, mostly with her. But, with, you know, I, I was up for orders to go back to Vietnam probably and probably in country much more dangerous work. Um, I just wanted to see how it was all going to work out. And I, they, they, those things were encouraging me towards the white light. And, and I was saying, no, no, please, just give me another chance. And, and uh, I guess what I, one thing that I didn't say is that when I went through that phase of my life flashing before me, what I, at that point I was with whatever they were. And... It didn't stop there at the car and in the flames. It went on, and I saw my future. And they, those angels or whatever you call them, said, you're not supposed to see that. <laughs> you can't let you go back <laughs> because you saw it. And, and I said, okay, I'll forget. I promise you, I'll forget. I'll forget what I saw. I'll live out my life. What's, What's 70 more years or 50 more years to you? You know, you live infinitely long, and I will live infinitely long if I wish to when I'm with you in that time. But I want to live that 50, 40, 30, 10 minutes, whatever it was, partly just because of Patty. Mm. Um, and I screamed, give me an answer. Give me an answer. Can I stay? Can I stay? And, and then it was like, whoomp a big flash, and I was in the air, and my I got my answer, you see. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my answer was I was alive. I was in horrible pain. My skin was bubbling and melting off me, and I was in the air. And it didn't really hit me instantly that I'd gotten my answer. Um, I was just fighting for my life. And, and at that point, that's when I think I told you at the hospital, then the next most important thing for me was I was convinced I was in the middle of my last breath of life, 
I think I was breathing in, and I thought, I probably won't breathe out before I go blank. Um, and it was just terribly important to me that I have one last look at, at Patty. And, uh, and I didn't, you know, I didn't know. I don't want to turn this into a love story. I mean, but there was some love going on there. Um, I just really had to see her face one more time. And, and, <laughs> and it was like the, those dreams you have when you're trying to run away from a, a beast or something. It was like I was in jello. Nothing moved fast. Mm. The whole time thing was all screwed up. And I tried to turn my head over to the right to the car door where I figured she would be. And it just moved so slowly. But finally, and I can remember how joyous I was, I saw her coming out of the car. She was coming as fast as she could. And I looked at her. And it was just such a relief. It was so important. And, and then I thought, I'm up in the air, and I thought, okay, I've done that. Now we've got to come up with a plan. And I thought to myself, uh, you know, in high school, they, they told stories about what you're supposed to do if you ever get on fire. You're supposed to drop and roll. You're not supposed to run, and, and because you're going to have this instinct that you can run away from the fire. And i got to tell you, even if people listen to this program and think it's a bunch of hooey, they want to listen to some things. They want to listen to you're not supposed to drizzle gas into the throat of a carburetor, and you're <laughs> supposed to listen to the fact that you don't want to run. Because yes. there is an incredible instinct to run. And I think the only reason I didn't is because Patty was there and I didn't want to die 60 yards away. If I was going to die, I wanted to die and say goodbye or whatever. And then I thought, I can't do this alone. If I run, if I roll on the ground, the flames will just keep coming back and coming back, and I'm going to be toast. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I thought, can't do this alone. And then I thought, I do have someone else with me here. Um, and I thought, I'm going to find out. I'm going to find out what she's made out of <laughs> and mm-hmm. what we're made out of. And uh, boy, didn't I. Because, I mean, she was a model. She used to do some modeling, and she... The deal was she ended up to keep her clothing that she modeled in. Mm-hmm. And she had gotten this beautiful brand new bright red, like a navy pea coat, only it was bright red. And she was wearing it that evening. And when I turned to look at her, I thought, holy shit, she's taking that coat off. And she's coming at me with that coat. And I thought, oh, man. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> so as soon as I hit the ground, she was on me with that with that coat, and then we turned and we looked at each other, and it was like we practiced it our whole lives. I mean, we talked really fast. What do we do next? Take off this, take off that, bunch that up, put that out, uh, roll again. You know, we we, we, commu- we just worked together like an incredible team. And within, a, I don't know how many seconds, it seemed like minutes, we had the fire pretty much out except for my pant leg which was down around my ankles and I got I got one leg off but the left one was on there and our four hands just grabbed that part and squeezed it against my ankle and that's where I was burned the worst it almost took my foot off mm. now tell the audience uh, our, what her background was that made her so adept at uh, putting out fires well this 
sometimes I wonder if, if she was an angel herself because, um, for one thing, she had the most beautiful voice I've ever heard in my life in a woman, and voice was important to me in women that I dated, more important than many other things. And she had a beautiful voice. Um, but ultimately, she came and visited me at the hospital every day in Bethesda. She, because of that, she flunked out of George Washington eventually, but... Um, and we, we lived together, 1270 New Hampshire Avenue, Northwest, Washington, D.C. And I, and I got talking to her later. I knew that she had been a baton twirler. She had told me that and had cheerleader and all that back in Washington State. But what I didn't know and only found out months afterwards was that she, like some baton twirlers at the time, she twirled fire. Hmm. And she used to go out in the middle of big stadiums in the night twirl these batons and throw them around. And so, you know, I mean, Lee, was it luck? Was it just luck that I run into, you know, little Patty, I won't give you her last name, from Snohomish, the darling of Snohomish County, who went all over the West twirling fire? Was that just luck? No, that wasn't just luck. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was meant to happen, as you well know, Art. <laughs> well, I suspect... <laughs> The, the thing is that was it was it uh, just bad luck that you decided to put that gas into the carburetor, or was that meant to happen too? Do you know uh, the I've answer got, to that? I, did I did I tell you the answer to that? I don't think so. Okay, well I'll, I'll, then I'll tell you now. I, I mean I don't know for certain, but I know this that um, once I was in Bethesda, I got my new orders and my orders, and Patty was there. We we're sitting on the bed. Um, in a ward, burn ward, and the new orders came, and they were to report to Quangtree, which is an air base just south of the DMZ, and I was a Navy officer at the time, but to work with the Marines and fly around in the back of the little spotter plane and spot, spot fire from a battleship, the Iowa, which had been recommissioned. Mm. Um, pretty dangerous orders, um, and I... As it turned out, months later, I didn't have to go because crispy critters, that's what we called ourselves, we all mm. called ourselves crispy critters, um, didn't get reassigned into tropical countries. But I had no way of knowing that. So this but, this might have saved your life. Well, it, here's what one thing that happened is that I got married eventually, not to Patty, but someone else, and have had a wonderful marriage. And... Uh, one of her best friends was a Marine, and like any veteran, I'm attracted to other veterans, particularly people who were there at the same time as me. And it turned out this guy's last name is my middle name. Who knows about coincidence? And we became fast friends. And it turned out, I mean, is this coincidence that he was stationed at Quangtree on hmm. June 6, 1968, when I was scheduled to relieve a man named Lieutenant La Framboise. Wow. And, and, I mean, was I, was I fated to find this out, to meet the one man who would know that? And I asked him, I said, did, did a naval officer come in and relieve someone at about that time? He, and he said, it's funny, you asked that, a naval officer did come in, and he relieved, he was there to relieve Lieutenant La Framboise. And I said, uh, and he, he had more of the story, and I said, well, Okay, well, tell me the rest of the story. He said, well, uh, Framboise had done his 365 days uh, at the point when it was June 6, 1968. 
But he decided to go up because he had nothing else to do and his relief hadn't showed up. It showed up late. He, he went up an extra day. And on that day, he was shot through the femoral artery in the back of the airplane and bled to death in the back of the plane. Wow. Now, you know, who knows? <laughs> Art, I want to, uh, we're, we're quickly running out of time here. I wanted to take you back to this very unique experience you had, even for NDEs. Uh, uh, I've never heard this before, where you actually went through all of the stages of what people would call evolution. Did you feel like, uh, did, in between those different experiences from amoeba to human, did you experience um, the death and what would lay in between those lives? It flowed together. It, it simply, it just flowed together. Um, life one, after life. Yeah, yeah, one to another. What do you think that means? I, you know, I, I don't want to analyze it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, there are parts of me, I obviously, like you, I'm very interested in NDEs. When I first got a computer, it was the first thing I looked up on the Internet with NDEs. And I've tried to investigate a little, and 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 I have friends who are doting Thomases about the spiritual stuff. And, um, and I myself wonder, you know, does the white light happen because um, of an overload, overload of, of adrenaline? You know, maybe it, it does. I don't know. And maybe this experience was... I, I have no answer. It may, and I guess what I'm saying is... I was aware I had been taught about evolution. Maybe I just recapitulated stuff that I'd heard in some mm. classroom in my mind. Um, I, I really can't answer that. Can I uh, go yeah, on to I, one thing that re- I think is really important? Of course. And I told you this in the hospital. It didn't work out with Patty. We, we moved to San Francisco. I lived with her on Powell Street. It didn't work. Um, but since that time, since that time of meeting the angels, amazing coincidences have happened to me over and over and over again. Coincidences of word, of deed, um, just reassurances that we're still there for you. And I'm lucky. I've survived my triple bypass. You saw me after I'd had my heart attack. I've had yes. um, many de- I I was a boat captain who took chances, you know, went to sea and did dangerous things and I think I've, and in about my ninth or tenth life, I've been very, very lucky. And I get reassurances through coincidence more than anything else, little word jokes, that they're there for me. It just happens again and again and again. Have you uh, found the fact that they showed you your future life, did that influence the way your life has gone? Ah, that's a good question. I don't think you're supposed to let it influence your life. Uh, every once in a while, I get a deja vu, which is kind of a backwards deja vu. But maybe it's a deja vu where I see something that's happened before, only it hasn't happened before. It ha- it's happened ahead. Um, it's, yes. it's, it's sort of proscribed in the book, and I'm aware. I'm just fulfilling the book, the script. No, that's that's a bad answer. But have you thought of writing a book about your experience? Somebody asked me if I wanted to do a painting of it. Um, 
Yeah, I've written. I think two I did. <laughs> I've, I've written two. That was one of one of my <laughs> suggestions. Well, I might just do that. Yeah, I have thought of that. It's I want to protect Patty's privacy, and that's probably the biggest reason. I mean, she went on to become an amazing success in her life and married uh-huh. an amazing man. She was into men, and she got the best of the best of the best. And unfortunately, he died. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I think the only reason I don't write it is because I couldn't publish it in my lifetime or while she's alive. Mm. So I, I, I've decided not to do that, I guess. Mm. Art, is there some place that uh, folks can see the paintings that you've done? You sent me a few on the Internet, and uh, you do beautiful work. Do you have a website? Well, I, it, the trouble with the website is I've sort of let it languish, so all I've got on there is work from years ago that sold years ago. But, I mean, if you look up my name, A-R-T-P-A-I-N-E, and say fine artist, I've got a website. I think it's A-R-T-P-A-I-N-E dot com, but mm-hmm. it, it's all old work. Um, I mean, if people want to get in touch with me by email uh, or, or I'm on Facebook, but- uh, they can do it that way. All right. Well, thank you so much, Gard. I'm sorry that we're out of time right now, but uh, uh, it's it's been wonderful that you came on the show and and told us um, your story and Patty's story, and uh, it's it's just an amazing thing. I, I I'm so glad I ran into you in the hospital, and that was not a coincidence. I am sure. I don't believe in coincidence. I told you that. <laughs> I do not believe in coincidences. It's all a signal that. There is life after life. I have more faith than, I don't want to compare myself to other religions, but I have so much faith. I don't fear death a bit. It's it's wonderful, but I want to play this one out. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, to, to our audience, if you'd like to listen again to this or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about the work of IANS, check out their website, iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.